Welcome to the Disconnection Podcast. My name is Ben Harmadi, and I'm here with Kyle Nielsen, and we're your host for today's show. During this episode at Disconnection, we'll be speaking to Michael Kangro, and we have him here right across from us in the office today, studio today. How are you doing today, Mikey? Pretty good. Pleasure to have you. Mikey's been a good friend of me and Kyle's for forever, probably 15, Middle 20 school, years. Yeah, I would I've say known Michael since, since preschool, I think. Oh, it's shit. Something stupid, yeah. I would say I've known you since we were 11. Been, it's been is that when middle school starts? Yeah, yeah. 11, 10, yeah. Some, something like that. So like 15 years? Yeah. Damn, wow. Damn, long wow. fucking time. Getting old. I always <laughs> say the story how Mikey gelled my hair as like a preschooler or whatever it was. It was like in camp, and he was like, hey, you want to be one of the cool kids? You got to have this in your hair. <laughs> he gave, gave me some cool moose, set me up as one of half hair. So uh, let's hop right in. You are a dispatcher, uh, a police dispatcher, and you're also a volunteer firefighter. Um, yep. But that's not where you started off at. What did you uh, What did you do and enjoy when you were younger? Uh, music was really the be all end all. Growing up, went to Hunter College in the city. Uh, I went for five years, have a bachelor's in music, and now I don't do anything with music besides hobby wise. You were doing like classical music there, or it was more rock and roll. At school, it was classical and jazz. Outside of school, all rock music. It was actually mostly solo stuff. Mm. The jazz. I played with small like combos or I played with a big band and the big band was probably my favorite. That was yeah. really cool. The most like enjoyable. Count Basie. Yeah. Cool. Like Count Basie music, tons of horns, big saxophone section. Is there improvisation when you're playing with a big band or is it very strict? Like No, definitely, music? definitely improvisation. Uh, when you play like Count Basie, you're, you're comping. So you're really playing rhythm guitar, but you're still improvising that rhythm guitar, whether you're playing you know, only parts of chords, you're making the rhythms up, and then you usually get a solo section, just kind of like jazz in general. Everybody rocks a solo. Mm -hmm. Not bad. So at what point did you decide, hey, I want to, you know, step into a burning building and fight this fire? (laughs) Uh, My sophomore year of college, I joined the fire department, and it was kind of just a hobby. I thought it was going to be something cool to do. After about like a year, you know, I finished training. I went to like my first real fire and then I was hooked. <laughs> Instantly hooked. It was just really hot or? <laughs> <laughs> the camaraderie with the, the guys at the firehouse and, you know, the adrenaline rush, just feeling like you're helping someone, like everything about it, I was 100% hooked. At, at what point coming up to the fire, riding the truck, were you like, this is it, this is what I'm enjoying? Well, I didn't go to my first real fire for a while because I was doing training. I was on my probationary period. So, you know, before that, it was mostly like alarm calls, carbon monoxide alarms, gas leaks, you know, water leaks, everything that's not actual fire. And even then I was hooked, you know, riding the truck, being with all the guys, hanging out at the firehouse, you know, just drilling and doing the training. I mean, it was I fell in love like instantly. Mm, but was there like when you went on your first actual call was there fear even though you had trained or did you feel so like second nature at that point even though you hadn't been in a fire uh well the actual very first call i went on i remember very well because it was the first time i rode the fire truck and and you get to slide down the pole for the first time we don't have a pole um yeah it's so iconic yeah the, the pole is pretty iconic um i remember I didn't really fully understand like the different like tones that go off on the radio when you get a call. And I remember everyone was just kind of throwing their gear on. And now I know 
that it was like a low level kind of just alarm, which still gets treated seriously, but it's not, you know, coming in as a report of a house on fire or a structure on fire. Um, so I'm like throwing on my gear, I'm putting on like my gloves and my hood and I'm getting like fully dressed up, kind of like, what am I going to? And then they get me on the truck and we ended up not even getting off the truck. And I just remember <laughs> feeling like, you know, the rookie, like everyone else is kind of like laid back and I'm like bundled up, you know, all ready to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything up to that point was just, it, I got hooked instantly. Like so the same way I, when I picked up a guitar and I like really started to learn how to play and I got hooked, this is the same thing. Have you had experiences with anything else in your life where you felt you've been hooked in that kind of way that are really tugged on your life strings? Do you have a, a, a small hobby that maybe we don't know about? Model airplanes? Yeah. Paper cars? I'd say rock climbing. Rock climbing. Yeah. True. Oh, yeah. You've gotten really into rock climbing, actually. Yeah. You guys you guys have, like, uh, big mats you get also, right? Just in case you fall yeah, off. Yeah, so when you go out – so when you do bouldering, which is um, – you know, type of rock climbing. Mm -hmm. It's like low rocks. You know, you're not climbing 100 feet up. You're climbing maybe like 20, 22 feet up, less even. And they have these crash pads that like fold up into backpacks so that if you fall, you fall on the mat. Honestly, rock climbing, it's great to see the progression of skill and to see like, oh, like you couldn't hold that little, you know, notch before. And then seeing yourself like a day later, a week later, however long it might be that you're working on it to be like, wow, like I can now hold that. That's so cool. My fingers have now gotten chalky enough to be able to stick it. Right? <laughs> so uh, at what point during your uh, volunteer firefighter did you say, OK, like I'm going to get more into public service. I'm going to work for a police dispatch. Uh, I actually never really wanted to be a dispatcher. Um, I was on the job in, with my volunteer department for four years and I decided I wanted to try and get a full-time career position at a fire department, which is, I'm, I'm in the process of doing now. And in that city, they told me like, be a dispatcher, you know, it'll get your foot in the door. It may help, you know, it'll give you a job. Cause at the time I did not have a full-time job and you know, it's a good job. It has benefits. It, you know, I start my time in the pension. So I, I kind of just went for it. And I took the classes, got the certifications, applied for the job. And then I, I kind of just started. I got thrown right into it. So there was never really a moment where I said, I'm going to be a police dispatcher because it never really went through my head. Did becoming a dispatcher ever make you question if you wanted to become an officer at any point? Like a police officer? Yeah. Um. I guess occasionally, you know. Um, just because you're in the environment? That's what I would think. Like, I'm in the environment. Like... I take the calls. I, you know, and it's the same type of thing, the camaraderie between the cops. And because I'm actually in the police department. So with my job, I do, you know, I answer 911 calls. I answer the regular police department lines, the regular fire department lines. And I dispatch for not just the police, but also the fire department and the ambulance. Would you say that the certification or uh, the training to become a police dispatch was difficult? What did it entail? I had to get a certification called BTC, which is basic telecommunicator. And then I had to get a certification called EMD, which is emergency medical dispatch. Um, I think it took about like two weeks to do it all. It really wasn't 
too difficult. I had a great teacher. That's less than I imagined, honestly. And they'll just throw you on the job after two weeks of... Uh... I mean, then you do in, in-house training. Mm. Um, you know, I don't get get to work and they say, okay, you could start picking up 911 calls. You know, the certifications took about two weeks. Then I had about two to three months of training, like in-house, on-the-job kind of thing, where they do it in steps. So at first, I could take the administrative calls, meaning the non-emergency calls. Then I could start, you know, dispatching the ambulances. Then when I get comfortable with that, I could start doing the fire department stuff. You know, then I could start taking 911 calls, and then I could start doing the police stuff. Because the police is definitely the most interactive Sure. Side of the calls, job. yeah. Mm-hmm. Can imagine. Do you have any calls that's uh, like stick out specifically as uh, interesting or horrific or great or wholesome? Uh, I mean, in terms of like horrific, there's tons of calls that you don't really want to answer. And because I'm a fireman and because I like to be in the field and not behind a desk, you know, any type of fire related call always gets me like a little frustrated. Someone calls up and says their house is on fire. I don't want to sit behind the desk. I want to go run onto the fire truck and grab my gear. I don't want to be stationary. Are you, is there any like way to be able to get up and go do fire thing or you got to be doing nope. one or the other? No, nope. yeah. I am stuck behind that desk that pushing buttons. Um, I take pride in what I do and I'm, I'm good at what I do, but it definitely gets frustrating specifically with the fire related stuff where you're just seeing action. I'm just sitting there. Yeah. Know? And I don't mind that I'm behind the scene, but like I don't need praise or anything. But the fact that I have to just sit there when I could be like on a hose line or, you know, whatever. It gets to you a little bit. It's frustrating. It doesn't really get me. It just, it's f- more frustrating. The stuff that's like more horrific in terms of like gets to you. You know, you pick up the phone and there's a mom saying, my baby's not breathing. You know, which happens more than you'd think. Or, you know, someone comes home and they find, you know, one of their parents hanging from like a banister on the stairs. You know, just not good stuff. One of their parents hanging from a banister on the stairs. That sounds horrifying. Yeah. And I mean, those are, you know, extreme. Then there's stuff that's a little less extreme. But, you know, a lot of like domestic violence stuff that goes on, you know, it happens everywhere. Are you are you staying on the phone with them while you call the ambulance, or are yeah. you telling them, "Hey, like it's okay, everything"? Like, so walk, with my walk job, so there's there's two people in the room. Um, occasionally, there's three, and we each are assigned to different ty- kinds of jobs. So if there's two people in the room, you know, let's say it's myself and Ben. Um, that day, he's assigned to doing you know the fire department stuff, the ambulance stuff, and taking calls, and I'd be assigned to all police stuff. As a police dispatcher, I don't want to be on the phone as much as possible because the police radio is what's constantly going, you know, just all day. They're talking to each other. Yep. They're calling into me. They're talking to each other. You know, they're pulling over cars. I need to know every little thing that's going on. They need to come inside the building for a minute. I need to know. They need to use the bathroom. I need to know. I mean, I need to know everything. If a cop needs to come into your building, you're saying? Yep. It's almost like your HQ. Yeah. He's the man in the That's chair. What I, yeah, I'm headquarters. I dispatch headquarters. You're Ned here. from uh, Spider-Man. You're yeah, man I'm the, the man in the chair. Exactly. Yep, which I hate because I like being out, but I am the man in the chair you, Well, you get the dual identities. You get to be Spider-Man, a.k.a. a firefighter, and then you get to be the man in the chair as a dispatcher. Yep. Um, so, you know, if I was taking the phone call or if Ben was taking the phone call, 
he would kind of give me heads up as to what was going on so that I could start sending police officers over and an ambulance over. And, you know, then we kind of take it from there. Maybe a second person calls in. Now we're both on the phone and I'm still doing the radio and he's doing the radio. And you, you just, it gets to be teamwork. But if I take a call and it's something like that, I'm staying on the line until there's people there every time. Now, since you started working there, have there been any failures in this system where you've seen people fuck up or this not working or somebody missing to tell somebody something and it fucking something up? I mean, there's usually like minor mistakes here and there, but it's always fixable. Nothing I've never crucial. seen anything like major, but the people I work with are very good at their jobs. Uh, I mean, I trust them all to do their jobs well, and I've never really had an issue with something like that. When someone calls up, you had said earlier, like, um, I'm calling up, you know, please help me. My baby isn't breathing. Are you walking that mother uh, through, you know, CPR? Mm -hmm. Like if there's a young kid, like, are you walking that person that's calling you through CPR? Yep. So we have something called, you know, medical guide cards. And it's literally like a PowerPoint of the questions we ask depending on the medical call. So, you know, I pick up the phone, 911, where is your emergency? And you say, you know, I'm at 123, you know, Maple Street or something. And, you know, I get the basic information, your phone number, your name. And then I say, you know, okay, how old is the patient? One. Okay, male or female, you know, male. Um, are they conscious? No. Are they breathing? No. And then the first thing I'm going to do is get into my CPR instructions. You know, if they're not conscious and they're not breathing, they need CPR. Now, Sometimes they really do need CPR. Sometimes the caller doesn't really know. Sometimes they don't want to do CPR. Sometimes they do want to do CPR. It's very up in the air with what goes on after that. But there have been many times where I'm giving CPR instructions over the phone and counting like with the person because you're supposed to do 30 compressions. Mm -hmm. So I'm counting, you know, one, two, three, and making sure that they're doing them fast enough. So you've literally give, like, like sufficient CPR step by step heard somebody's life being saved. Uh, I mean, potentially, I guess, you know, sometimes they make it out. Sometimes they don't. I've had both scenarios. It's, it's very up in the air. And do you feel that weighs on your soul ever? Not particularly. Um, you know, I do the job the best of my ability and I'm just giving instructions over the phone. So I'm not physically there. Is it, it makes it a little easier to detach. I think it makes me a little bit disconnected. There it yeah, is. I there said, it is. Said the podcast yeah. name. <laughs> there it is. If, uh, if someone says that they don't want to do the CPR to whoever they're with and that person is unconscious, do you kind of have to like convince them like, hey, you need to? I don't have to. I try, but I've had that before. But also, you know, you come home and you think someone's dead because they're cold and blue. They're probably dead and they don't want to give CPR. I can't force them to give CPR instructions. I mean, to give CPR. They're not going to get in trouble when the police officer gets there and they weren't giving CPR or when the ambulance gets there, you know, whoever gets there first. They're not professionals. They're civilians who are in a horrible, you know, shock that their loved one is either dying or dead and they, they freeze up. They don't know what to do. And I mean, it, it's understandable. Some people are all about it. And it's all about it, meaning they're like, like they're yeah, jumping yeah, right in. Tell me mm -hmm. what to do. Yep, they're wow. jumping right in. Cool. Yeah. And it kind of gives you that like fight or flight mentality. And I could really like see it when I take some of these phone calls. Like some people jump right in, and some people are like, nope, I want nothing to do with it. 
And the nothing to do with it, people, are, does it seem more like it's fear or they just don't feel comfortable doing it? Or where do you think it stems from? Or where, where do you see it coming from? I've had a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Definitely a little bit of both. Uh, you were saying, um, just so we can get off of uh, CPR, um, you were saying domestic violence is something that is prevalent, uh, you know, a phone call that you'll receive. Do you think that domestic violence is understated in our society, that it's happening a lot more than we believe? Uh, probably. I mean, I don't really know the statistics, so I'm definitely no expert on, you know, giving a definite answer. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, it happens a lot. Yeah. And it, you know, it happens everywhere. It also a happens lot. a lot that's like not Like once a reported. week, once a day? Where I work, I mean, I work in a busy city, mm-hmm. so it happens often. Once a day is probably the minimum. Wow. Wow. I yeah. did not expect that every day. That yeah. Is pretty, pretty Are you receiving a lot of phone calls about these domestic violence cases where it's the same person calling? We definitely have repeat offenders. You try not to pay too much attention. You know, I mean, I need to in a way, but I don't like trying to like keep tabs on people. It's, you know, I show up, I do my job for the day and then I go home and then that's it. How many calls do you think you answer during a, a single shift? It depends on the type of shift I work. So because I work nights, I work days, I work 12-hour shifts, I work weekends, I work weekdays, holidays. You know, we don't get days off. So obviously a Sunday, like Easter Sunday, is going to be slow and not a lot of calls. And, you know, a Friday night in the middle of the summer at 10 o'clock, I'm going to have a ton of calls. So it's hard to say. Maybe like 100, give or take. What's one thing you would want to say to somebody calling a dispatcher that's never called a dispatcher before that can make your job easier or more practical and effective? I think one of the biggest problems with the 911 calls is that people are usually freaked out and they just blurt out a ton of information. And I constantly have to tell people, you know, ma'am, please slow down. You know, just let me ask you specific questions because these answers will help me further assist you quicker. You know, I don't need to know every little bit of information. So when people call up, you know, a simple example would be a car accident. You know, um, oh my God, I'm walking down the street and I just saw a car flip over, which, you know, happens. We call a rollover. Um, and they just start blurting out information. Like I need to know where before anything else. And, you know, when you're freaked out and you see a car flip over and you're not used to dealing with that kind of thing, that's the last thing you're thinking of. You don't even know where you are anymore. And I have to ask like multiple times, okay, well, where are you? But the car flipped over, there's people inside, you know, it's smoking. <laughs> okay, but where? Right. You know? um, yeah, I guess it's tough to have your thoughts together. Yeah, in I mean, those it, kind of it situations, is tough. For sure. You can't blame people in certain you no. know, instances, but I need to ask very specific questions for a very specific reason. And there's always like a rhyme or reason to why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it's... Don't question your dispatcher is the answer, right? Just like listen to what they're asking. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a big thing too with the is the medical calls. So with the medical calls, there's a ton of questions I have to ask. So like I was saying, those that like PowerPoint that I have, there's, you know, a tab for each what we call chief complaint. So if someone says their stomach hurts, I click on the card that says abdominal pains. And then based on that card, you know, it gives me a bunch of questions. And based on those answers is what kind of care I send them. Do I send them EMTs or do I send them paramedics? 
Do you get prank phone calls? We do, actually. Yeah. The other day, um, there was a couple of kids at a school calling 911, and the first call that they, they called, I, I picked up, and they, it was a little girl, like young, who said there's someone in my house and then hung up. And Jeez. when we get calls like that, that's not something that we can just brush aside. Right now, we have terrifying. to take it extremely seriously because if there really is someone in their house, like, I mean, you have to send help. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. So I have to call back over and over and over again, or you know, ping the cell phone, like call the cell phone carrier, say, listen, it's you know such and such police department. We need to ping the phone for this reason. You know, we have to send faxes back and forth. There's paperwork. What does that mean, ping the phone? Like you can get the Like provider. based off of satellite. What it, Like it'll tell you where it is when you say ping? Gotcha. Yep. yep. Gotcha. And sometimes you, it's very accurate. Sometimes it's really not accurate. Interesting. And yeah. can, you, can the provider send messages to the text phone through you guys, to the telephone through you guys? Uh, we've never done that. I'm actually not sure if they could do that. Mm. I'm sure they could. I mean, it's just like sending a text message. Yeah, but no. Is the provider also saying like, hey, wait a second, okay, uh, dispatch, whatever, you know, why are you trying to locate this person? They usually don't question us. They know there's a special phone number that we call for each provider. So, you know, a, a perfect example, um, you know, this is a couple of months back now, but it was really late at night on a weekend and I got a call and it sounded like a prank phone call. It sounded like this guy was, you know, wasted, drinking all night and then got home and was calling 911 and he was slurring his words. He couldn't speak. I was asking him questions and you know, he'd hang, he'd hang up. I'd call him back, same kind of thing over and over and over again. I didn't feel right about it and I couldn't get a good location from the ping. So we have what's called phase one and phase two for like pinging a cell phone. When it's phase one, it means it's just pinging the cell phone tower that it's using. So, you know, there's cell phone towers throughout each city and, you know, area, depending on the cell phone provider. So it was pinging to a cell phone tower, but that could be anywhere, you know. And then I was getting a phase two, which is a more smaller area, but it's still not that accurate. So I was trying to keep him on the phone as long as possible and hitting the button to, to ping it. And it was kind of bouncing around like two streets in a neighboring town. But if the guy's in his house, I mean, it could be any house on those streets and it could just be wrong. So I called the cell phone provider, you know, on the special hotline for law enforcement. And I said, you know, we need not to ping the phone, but can you please give me the, you know, information on his account? So give me like his billing address so that I could see if it is one of those streets, because if it is, then I could send people there. Because either the guy is prank phone calling and, you know, someone should speak to him because he's tying up the lines right. or he seriously needs help. You know, I mean, if you even if he was just really that drunk and needed, you know, to go to the hospital and get like an IV for a little bit. But um, I ended up getting an address from the cell phone provider and I called the neighboring town. I explained everything that happened and I sent people over. And it turns out that it was, uh, you know, not an elderly guy, but an older man who fell down his basement stairs and had a stroke. Oh, oh my God. God. And was bleeding from the head. He wasn't um, drunk? He was not drunk. Wow. So his words were so slurred because yeah. of how bad his stroke was. Wow, that's terrible. Yeah. So here I am, you know, thinking it may be a prank phone call. It may be a drunk guy. Right. Um, and it wasn't either. Because it was a Saturday night at like 4 a.m. Sure. You know, 
and you know it ends up well, that this guy was dying on yeah. his basement floor and they had to like break in the door and they got inside and you know they ended up transporting him to the hospital and everything was okay but i mean it's little things like that where i really have to take control thank god and remain calm you know yeah keep it keep your head uh I'm get shoulders. annoyed at 4 a.m. thinking you're being prank called at a dispatch yeah. number. I mean, and that's the thing too. I mean, I could have, I could have hung up and then tried calling back two or three times, and maybe he answered, maybe he didn't. Maybe I couldn't get a, you know, an address. Maybe I couldn't get any other information. And maybe I just write in our computer system like a small, like little write up, like this is the phone number that called. This is how the call went. You know, and and that's it. You know, I couldn't get a location. I couldn't get a phase two ping. Um, maybe send police officers to the streets to drive through, see if anyone flags them down. Mm -hmm. And then that would have been it. And then the guy probably would have died. But, you know, taking that extra step, going that extra mile, you know, saying this doesn't feel right, calling the cell phone provider, trying to get a location. And I got lucky that he was home Yeah. because sometimes the billing address is totally different. And I just know that's not where he is. What are the obligations of the cell phone provider? So when... Do you know? I mean, can I ask you that? Do I you mean, know? I don't know, like, particularly, but there's never been an instance where we've called up and said, we need to ping a phone, and they said no. Interesting. Yeah. And you have to keep them... You were saying you have to keep him on the line in order for it to establish? No. no. So we have, like, an in-house ping system, which, you know, they have to be on the line for. Once they hang up, it doesn't work. When we call the cell phone provider, they don't have to be on the phone. So the in-house ping systems is the true uh, triangulating the phone system? <laughs> no, that would probably be the cell phone provider. Okay. To be honest, I don't really know how it works. I just yeah. know I press a specific button and I know how to read the information and then take it from there. But all like that, like tower, radio, But it only works if they, stuff. if they call. It only works if they call. Because otherwise you're going off of nothing. Yep. All right, that makes sense. And it also only works with the 911 lines. What do you mean? So if someone calls the police department, you know, like their main line, like you Google such and such police and yeah, call yeah. them, hey, you know, my car, I'm parking it on the street overnight. Um, we can't ping that in-house. But we could say, okay, we have a cell phone number. Let's call the cell phone provider and they could ping it. Interesting. So in-house pinging only works for 911 calls. Wait, you just said they don't ask for a reason when you ask them to ping a phone? I mean, we'll usually give them like a very brief, you know, mm. it's a 911 call. And, right. And, and that's, that's usually that's sufficient. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. But you're also calling their hotline. Like, hey, I am a dispatcher. I have your hotline. Like, I yep. wonder if I called their hotline and asked to ping somebody's phone if I somehow came into that number. Well, they also fax you over a form and you mm. need to fill out that form and send it. Well, back. that'll do it. How long does that process take? They'll usually give you the... In so they'll hang up and they'll do it and they'll call you back. While they're doing that, they fax it over. If they give you the information before, you know, they send it back or vice versa, it's it's usually pretty quick. But there has to be a send back of, of faxing. Mm -hmm. A little bit of a verification then, you know, to remember that or to verify that you are, in fact, a dispatcher. Yep. And we keep all that stuff on record. You know, there's files, folders that they keep for X amount of years in case they need to go back to it. What would you say to anybody who would want to kind of take this path of... I don't know, either becoming a fireman or becoming a dispatcher, being a public servant or helping people in their own way. I mean, if you're interested in being a fire firefighter, there's tons of volunteer departments. 
I mean, 80, 80 to 85 percent of the United States is volunteer, which most people don't know. And but I mean, volunteer firefighters, as far as I understand, they do get paid. They usually get like a stipend check. Okay. Um, Explain what that is, please. You know, every quarter, depending on how many calls you make and how many drills you go to and meetings or, you know, each department is a little bit different, but you get a, a check based on those numbers. It's really not a lot. No one's doing it for the money. It's not like a job. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't make a living off of it. Absolutely not. Even if you go to every single phone call? Yep. Wow. Yeah, you can't make a living off that. Not even close. And can you graduate from volunteer to full-time or not? Every force has full-time firemen. No, that's what I'm saying. So like 80 to 85% of America is fully volunteer. Right. Yep. Wow. So every firehouse, like firehouses are mostly fully volunteer is what you're saying. Mostly, yeah. Gotcha. Big cities are not, you know, New York City, Patterson, Jersey City, Newark. What would you say uh, for someone like Ben just asked? that wants to be a police dispatcher, firefighter, what are some of the moral and ethical things they may have to deal with? As a firefighter? As a police dispatcher too. As a dispatcher. I, I think the end all be all is do the right thing. You know, you're there to help people, not for your own reasons. The hours are not great. I work weekends, I work holidays, I work nights, I work crazy hours where I have to go in at three o'clock in the morning, you know, if someone calls out, they'll knock on my door and tell me I have to come to work at three o'clock in the morning. There's a lot of downsides to the job, but I enjoy doing what I do. I enjoy helping people and it, it can be fun. It really can be fun. You know, the other day I felt like I was like a little detective. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we had a, a shooting where two people got shot. One got shot 11 times oh my God. and one got shot seven times. They both lived, which is out of control. Um, it, it, this was a shooting in the city that you work in. Mm-hmm. And these 11 times, like, is that an automatic weapon to get 11 bullets out? He's got 18 bullets out between two It was two a handgun. People. It was a handgun. Yeah, That's one can... clip and a handgun to he be reloaded. 18 bullets. Yeah. <laughs> you reloaded? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, this sounds nice. Um, from, from, I don't know, like, the exact, exact, you know, details of everything right but you know we got two calls and that's it which is amazing to me because usually when something of that nature happens we get a ton of phone calls Mm -hmm. there's a house on fire on the street you know every single person that's passing wants to call 911 when you hear gunshots like that in the morning when you know people are around and awake it's unbelievable that we only got two phone calls so the guy you know ran outside they didn't, they knew who it was. They knew his name. So we get a description of him. We try to find out where he went. They said he ran down this way. What's he wearing? What does he look like? Um, hair color, any kind of details to help us out. Um, turns out he runs and gets into a white car. So at this point, all I have is a name, you know, a description, and that he ran this way and possibly got into a white car. So you know, while everything is going on and while I'm sending units everywhere, while I'm setting up a perimeter, while we're calling the sheriff's department to get some canines out there to search for the guy, you know, while we're sending ambulances to help these people, while all this craziness is going on, 
I go into the DMV records and I say, okay, I have this guy's name. Let me see if I could search to see if he has any vehicles registered to him. Maybe one of those are white. So that's what I do. I, you know, I, I look up the DMV records and I see that there's a white vehicle registered to him. So I put it out to all the cops and I say, listen, there's a white such and such vehicle registered to him. That may be the vehicle he got into. You know, this is the license plate. Be on the lookout. And then at the same time, I'm getting on the state police radio, letting all the surrounding towns around us know this is what just happened. This is the way he possibly went. He's possibly in this vehicle. Give a description of the guy, all that. So he went home to one of the surrounding towns by us, which I also knew the address from his DMV record, which is, you know, the motor vehicle stuff. And I called their cops and I said, listen, can you go to his house, check to see if he's there? So they go there. He wasn't there. But about five minutes later, there's a carjacking on that street that he lives on. Oh, my God. They get a description. It's somewhat matched. I called them on the phone. I was like, is this the same guy? Is this the vehicle he got out of? Whatever. Turns out, same guy. So he shot two people in our city, went to a different city, robbed, you know, carjacked someone at gunpoint got in their car, and then it ended up being a big police chase on uh, one of the highways. He eventually crashed his car, and they caught him. But Was there a chase? Did he get out of the car and start running? Or they He did not him? get out of the car and start running, at least not that I know of. Uh, it wasn't like a major car crash, but he crashed his car, and then they got him. Little things like that. I mean, I'm behind the scenes, and I'm the one who figured out what kind of car it was. I'm the one who figured out that they may be the same guy and made contact. I'm the one who told that city to go check on his house. I mean, I really felt like I was running the show. And that's where it's a little crazy to say because it's horrible because people were getting shot at. But that's where it gets like a little fun for me. Like mm -hmm. it, it gets You exciting. feel like you're a part I of the scene. I feel like I'm yeah. really doing something as opposed to just answering calls. Well, yes, you, you could park your car there. I no, would say this, this is you yeah. actively helping a situation in the best way that you possibly can with the talents that you have. Yep. And when stuff like that happens, that's when I go home and feel good about what I do. That's sure. when I go home I and say to that. my friends, like, oh, man, this crazy stuff happened at work today. I'd say fuck yeah out, after you know? a day like that, besides the people getting shot and dying. But you They know, also lived. They oh, did live, which makes it better. 11 shots he lived? Yep. <laughs> that's nuts. How does that... How, where do you get shot 11 times and make it out? I don't know. Not in the chest? like. Yeah, I, I really don't know, to be honest. I, That's nuts. Yeah. Tell us about your recent promotion with the fire department. So with volunteer departments, you get nominated for a position. There are certain qualifications you need, certain certificates, you know, time on the job, whatever. And then you get voted in. So I just got voted in as lieutenant at the end of last year. So I started in January. As a lieutenant, I'm basically in charge of my small crew. So if I go out on the engine company, I'm in charge of that engine specifically. If I go out on the ladder, I'm in charge of the ladder company. That's pretty sick. I get to sit in the front seat, do the sirens and the lights. That's a good time. <laughs> do you feel more responsibility since you've taken up that role? There's definitely more responsibility, without a doubt. Um, behind the scenes stuff, you know, we go to officers meetings, we do extra training, you know, we just went out to Indianapolis to, uh, what's called FDIC, took a bunch of classes out there. It's like a national fire expo. Um, and then just in terms of, 
making decisions for people, um, telling people what to do. Does that mean you feel more responsible for people's lives as well? Like sure. on your team? Definitely. You know, we go to a fire and I tell them, you know, I'm on, let's say I'm on the ladder company and we're assigned to venting out windows. And I tell my guys to take a specific window instead of a different window. You know, I could cause fire conditions to get worse as opposed to better. And that's on me for making that decision. Uh, a lot of times, you know, whoever is com command of the scene, like incident commander, will tell us what to do. And then I kind of relay that message and make sure everything gets done well and, you know, do it with them. But a lot more responsibility. Some more money? No more money. Damn. Right, because it's volunteer. Because it's volunteer. I thought Mikey wasn't volunteer. You're not full-time or you're working to be full-time. Working to be full-time, right yeah. Gotcha. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. We Doing wish you luck. Doing everything I can. Well, guys, thank you again for joining us for another episode of the Disconnection Podcast, where we aim to inform, inspire, and close the disconnections in your life. We'd like to thank our guests for joining us today, Michael Cangro, and delivering a unique perspective on a range of topics. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes, YouTube, the podcast app, and Spotify. My name is Kyle. And I've been Ben. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Disconnection. It yeah. seems to be a thing. It's pretty good. It seems to be the thing we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. It's pretty good, yeah. <laughs>